This is CNT Talk. Every week, two friends debate the issues of the ages as we agree to disagree. It's never politically correct, but it's always entertaining. Join us tonight so you can sound knowledgeable at work tomorrow. We're smacking you upside the head with the hammer of truth. Welcome to the show. Hello, Modest Writer. How are you tonight, Modest Writer? Oh, I'm excellent. Is that my new? Yes, I see. That is my new moniker for this evening. That is your moniker for this evening, Modest Writer. Than an arrogant, uh, arrogant writer. Yeah, well, we got enough of those. We don't need any extra arrogant writers. Modest, it will work. Um, I was just watching before we came on. I was watching a little of the uh, Pence Harris something. It wasn't nearly as fractious, but uh, just as entertaining uh, for the wrong reasons. So. <laughs> For the wrong reasons. Well, did you watch any of it so far? No, I haven't. Okay. I'll probably watch the, the clips of it. You'll watch the clips and you'll be happy enough to do that. The reality is um, I don't like Kamala Harris at all. She, she's not, to me personally, she is not a likable person. I think she's disingenuous. I think she's condescending. She's snooty. And she always... T- and this is just me personally, this is not an attack on her in any way, shape, or form. She sounds like she's stoned at all times to me. I do not understand it. She just sounds, uh, yeah, uh, just so uninterested in why she's there. I'm like, you were running for president, and you sound like you don't want to be there. I don't think she's uninterested at all. In fact, I, I sort of call her Hillary on steroids in some ways, although I shouldn't say that because Hillary is still at the top of the Shark Tank. Um, <laughs> if you know anything about Kamala or Kamala, I, I don't even know what the correct pronunciation is, nor do I care. Yeah. Um, she is a pretty ruthless political operator. Mm-hmm. And so don't underestimate her in terms of, you, it sounds like she's stoned, but I agree with you that she is incredibly disingenuous. She, of course, is pretending to be something that she's not politically, which is a moderate when in fact she she's one of the most radically left members of, of Congress. Um, that's pretty much the entire Democratic Party these days. But no, her her voting record and her agenda as soon to be President Harris, because let's not kid ourselves. Right. If Joe Biden wins this election, he is not going to last for four years as president. Not going to happen. Um, no, she's a she's a pr- pretty dangerous lady in the sense that she she has the uh the let consider this chat this woman could theoretically very soon be uh by default the president of the united states and she couldn't even garner what three percent in the democratic primary that's how well, little hold, hold popularity on. she had with her own party she dropped out before there was a primary like yeah that's right she th- there were polls, but there was no actual voting on her for president. It was amazing. She went months up and down, but she never actually got on a ballot to be voted for. That, to me, is kind of amazing, and that's the person you pick as your running mate. Now, I don't think Biden chose her, per se. I think it was foisted upon him because his handlers thought it would look good. I, I, I don't know exactly well, what the uh, reason Admitted, of course. Remember, identity is all. So yeah. he had committed that he had to pick a woman. And so she checks multiple identity boxes, woman, uh, woman of color. 
And so that's what they needed. And since her agenda is no different from the agenda of any of the other people that were up there, she's interchangeable with Elizabeth Warren, essentially. Warren might actually be a little bit worse from a policy standpoint, although it's it's literally splitting hair with <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, splitting an atom. Um, yeah, so so she she fills the intersectional bill in terms of what they wanted on uh, the platform as a VP, and that's why she's there. So uh, I have a clip of a summary of the presidential debate from last week. We haven't talked about that. I'll let you comment, but I, I want to play the clip because I think this this encapsulates everything we were talking about. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Now, is that, uh, is that Billy Madison? That is Billy Madison. And I've used that before on the show, but it, it encapsulates what I thought of the debate. And I'm talking about both sides. Uh, I, I came out of that debate last week. Let's see. Uh, Biden didn't come off as the... I don't know. Did you watch the, the SNL spoof of this on Saturday? I did. I was actually just telling my wife, um, I have to give Alec Baldwin credit, but he's actually gotten pretty good at doing Trump. He has. He has. But I was more impressed, not the, the performance, but Jim Carrey's caricature of Biden when he would just speak everything he was supposed to be thinking out loud and how to act, you know, making his face muscles go the right way and measuring. It was it was hilarious in that sense to me because. Biden tries to come off as this nice guy, man of the people, but he's just as much a bully and a jerk as Trump is, but he's trying to act like if I smile, it won't look like I'm trying to eat you. It looked like I'm trying to be friendly. And the reality was he was a jerk. Trump was a jerk. We knew what we were getting with Trump. We should have known what we're getting with Biden. He's 47 years in public life. But I don't think anybody came out of that debate changing their mind on who they were going to vote for. And from Trump's perspective, that's a bad thing, personally. I, I think it, he didn't convince him, and I, I really just wanted him to shut up. Just Trump, answer the question and shut up. What do you think? That is, um, I think that was the take of most of America. Trump, there's a couple things going on here, and I agree with you. So, you know, and again, it's difficult to know how different people react to things because it's all subjective. Mm -hmm. And so it's funny because I, I talked to a couple of friends who are big. I know guys who are big Trump, Trump guys. And, you know, they thought it was great because he was, you know, he was sticking it to the moderator and we'll talk about Chris Wallace and whatever. <laughs> My reaction was not only as someone who, you know, as a lawyer who does courtroom stuff, but just in terms of effective advocacy, if you want to call it that. Trump was horrendous. And the reason he was horrendous is because it's not even so much that he was rude and bullying with his constant interrupting. And like you said, he just wanted to say, shut up, let Biden finish his incoherent answer, and then you can say whatever you want. And he's incapable of doing it. But more importantly, it's not the rudeness. It's that anything that you intended to communicate is lost, is completely lost in the mosh pit that you've created. A couple of times, Trump is getting off, I guess, these zingers in the middle of them cross-talking each other. 
I'm thinking you've wasted your ability uh, to even say what you want to say. Just, again, let Biden finish spewing whatever pabulum he's been spoon-fed to say, right. and then respond. It's not that difficult. Well, it isn't. And, and again, watching the Harris-Pence debate, they, Pence doesn't talk over the other person as much, no, but he, they, they still interrupt. At all. I mean, yeah. Pence is the complete polar opposite of Trump. Yes. Uh, and that he is very sober, reasonable, measured. He's not going to interrupt people. He's courteous. I actually think Pence is a pretty smart guy. I think he'll do very well. In fact, it's kind of good that he's out there potentially, you know, filling in the holes that Donald Trump dug for himself. <laughs> but, you know, the thing that, and, and again, Chris Wallace was a complete disgrace. Yes. Uh, I, I expected that Wallace, look, every one of these moderators is going to be on Team Biden. Mm -hmm. But I expected of the three of them, Wallace would be the one who, he can't stand Trump, but would actually ask Biden yeah. some legitimately difficult questions. He did none of that. Nothing. Well, he did he ask did. about the court packing and then didn't follow up when Biden wouldn't answer. Correct. That was so it. That was worthless. Yeah. And do you think he would have let Trump get away with that? But even worse, even worse than allowing Biden to get away with this complete you know, evasiveness on key issues is the way that Wallace framed mm -hmm. questions was completely absurd sure. and slanted. So for instance, he asked Trump the question about, I think the worst one of the night was the, the premise being that the California forest fires are being caused not just by global warming, which is nonsense. If you've read anything about what's going on out there right. and the, the green left's refusal to actually do forest management, which has gone on for decades, and now they have essentially a whole bunch of tinder. But Wallace not only frames it as a global warming issue, which is kind of what you'd expect, but he frames it as Trump's pulling out of the Paris Accord, as if there is some <laughs> causal linkage that any sentient adult would make between those two things. It, it, it's incredible. And the other thing that I loved is the, the best answer that Biden gave was when he was asked about Antifa. And Chad, what did Biden call Antifa? An idea. <laughs> but I've never seen an idea burn down a building or shoot at people or and shoot mortars. Exactly, and exactly. And so any fair-minded moderator, okay, who at least wants to have a pretense of I'm not a shill for this guy is going to have to say exactly what you just said. Well, uh, Mr. Vice President, we do have actual video footage from this world mm -hmm. showing these people in the streets in Portland and in Kenosha and in Seattle causing peaceful protest, right? So they're not really an idea, are they? Nothing, nothing. They just, just allow him to say that. Now, it's ridiculous on its face, but it's, it's incredible. And I fully expect, by the way, I don't think the second debate's going to go on because Biden is now saying... You know, unless Trump has a note from his mommy that COVID is is cured, I'm not going to participate. And that doesn't surprise me because I think now Biden's strategy has to be, oh. look, I showed up. I was oriented to place and year. <laughs> I didn't, right? I didn't go into a catatonic fugue state. Yeah. Words, I exceeded the incredibly low bar. Why would I put myself back out there? Because there is that risk every time he goes out into that environment. Yeah. Right? Uh, well, I if I'm being honest, 
I don't know that having another debate helps Trump either, because I don't think he can change yeah, who he is. He himself, and I agree with you. I don't think he can. Because so there has to be, there has to be some adult in the room. Yes. Telling the Donald, listen, what you just did out there was completely counterproductive. It made you look like not only a bully, but just somebody who lacked. And the other thing, it wasn't just him talking over Biden. There were many times where the subject gave Trump a whole bunch of what I'll say is low hanging fruit that just it's right in his wheelhouse. And instead, because he's so unfocused, he starts rambling on Mm -hmm. about something else that's totally irrelevant. That's not nearly as good of a point as he could have made just if he had stayed on topic, but he, he can't do it. And no one can tell him otherwise. That's the problem. Well, what Ben Shapiro has said multiple times, he said, if this is a referendum on Trump, Trump loses. If it's a referendum on Biden and Harris, Biden and Harris lose. So if you actually look at the candidates and you're deciding, do I like Trump more? Or do I like Biden more? Trump's going to lose every time on the likability factor. He just is not likable. Well, if you look at the- no, unless you know anything about Biden. In other well, words, yes, yes. If you're just if you're just man or woman on the street, you're not really attuned politically. And and yes, you have a Rorschach test where you're flashing up. What do you see when you they show you a picture of Trump? Uh, you know, I see orange Hitler. What do you see when I see a picture? Oh, I see a nice man playing bingo for Joe Biden, right? <laughs> so yeah, the the uh, the visceral reaction to Biden. Now, anyone who knows Biden's history and politics oh. and the things that he has said, including the things he said at the debate, to yes. your point, he called Trump a clown. Mm-hmm. This is the president of the United States. Called him a racist, right? Of course, you know, all of Biden's crew thinks that's absolutely true. Our sure. friend, sure. our friend would say it's speaking truth to the orange power or whatever. But nevertheless. If we're gonna if we're gonna yammer on about decorum, Biden was just as disgraceful. He just doesn't do it in the same kind of dominate the room kind of way. Right. But he was as bad. Well, and I think that's what it, Biden can come across. Well, and here's the thing: Trump can't not make it about himself. It's always about him. What he can't seem to listen to is you can't make it about you. You've got to make it about your accomplishments. And I want to be fair here. He, he got judges. He's gotten two Supreme Court judges. He may get a third. He, he's got a tax, a temporary tax reduction from 2017. He has had, um, he's gotten some peace treaties in the Middle East. He, he's accomplished some things. But if we go back to 2016, he was going to repeal Obamacare. He was going to build a wall. We still have most of Obamacare, even if we don't have the mandate, and we don't have a wall. We're not even close to a wall. I mean, Biden and Harris keep talking about he's going to take away your health care. He's going to reduce Obamacare. He hasn't done it in four years. He's not going to do it another four. That, that ship has sailed as far as I'm concerned. It's not going to happen. It's now built into the system. It's been around since 2010. Well, I, mean, I, think you're, I think in fairness, your critique, you know, you're savvy enough to know this. He can't do it. I know. First of all, all of those promises, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Sure. Well, the president can't do that stuff. Now, I know Barack Obama could with his pen and phone, but Legally nevertheless, part of the problem is that he has to work through Congress. Mm-hmm. And really, they don't have enough of a majority in the Senate. Uh, they don't have any majority in the House. Democrats control the House. So, so in order for him to do many of these things, it's impossible given – the, the makeup of Congress right now. But 
I do think you sell a little bit short. You know, you said some stuff in the Mideast. The stuff that he's accomplished in the Mideast, including relating to moving, uh, you know, uh, the capital, or, or, I mean, the, uh, the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem, the, the stuff that he has recently negotiated with the various sort of Mideastern actors, let's put it this way. Had Obama done this, now, part of his base would have been squealing because they hate the idea that, you know, <laughs> any, anything is going to help Israel. But nevertheless, all of the smart set in the New York Times and the Washington Post would have hailed this. Just, you know, our friend would have been beside yes. himself in ecstasy over mm -hmm. how nuanced reset diplomacy, you know, has 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 brought a new day in the Mideast. Trump gets no credit whatsoever for that. It's just been buried. Um, the other thing that he's done, which you didn't mention, and I think is significant, and which is one of his promises, he has been taking an axe to the regulatory uh, octopus. Now, it is so massive mm -hmm. that it's going to need several flamethrowers over a period of years. But he's been doing some pretty good stuff in terms of what he's attempted to do. And sure. yeah, judges have been key, and not just Supreme Court. Yeah, He's basically remade the the federal bench in terms of rebalancing that after Obama, you know, installed a whole bunch of his like-minded people in all the different circuits. So Trump has a record. And by the way, the economy was in fact booming yes. until we had this pandemic. Well, and he so step back a second. The Middle East peace stuff I think is significant, but I think to Joe the plumber doesn't care doesn't play on the street I agree. I agree with that. not that because it's not significant it just doesn't play in the street um the the judges at the supreme court level i think plays on the street i don't know that the circuit courts and other federal judgeships play as well on the street they play to the base who's really okay. into this but they don't play to middle america you've got to make them understand well you so do you do and i'm not saying you shouldn't do that but it and I know that he doesn't have he didn't have the majorities and everything, but he did have the House and the Senate until 2018. Now I'm not blaming Trump completely on that because the House and the Senate had uh, how many iterations of Obamacare that they were going to retract, and they never got it done. So I, I blame the Republican Party. Point. This gets back to the point when you say they have the House and the Senate. The and the Senate, presidency. In the Senate, for the two years, they had a two-person yeah. majority. Right. You can't pass anything with a two-person majority because the Democrats – now, the Democrats are going to change this if Joe Biden wins the election and they control the Senate where they're going to eliminate the legislative filibuster. But so long as the legislative filibuster is in place, there is nothing that can be passed through the Senate – unless you're getting sign-on from a certain number of Democrats. In other words, you can't pass it on a party-line vote. So you're completely hamstrung unless you're going to blow the whole thing up. That's just that's just the way it is. I'm just looking back in 2010. How many, how many senators were there in 2010 that were Democrats? 2010? Well, when they passed Obamacare. Well, that's because when they passed Obamacare, they used uh, reconciliation. Don't you remember all of this? I do. So I guess my question is, you're talking about needing a, a filibuster-proof vote, but we, 
if you can pass it with with the reconciliation, then you should be able to undo it with reconciliation. I know they went back and forth on this. I understand that. But it feels like we were hamstrung on the GOP side from doing exactly what was done to put it in place. And I don't understand that. Very convoluted, and it's not fresh in my mind because it gets into a lot of parliamentary procedure. Sure. But basically, the use of reconciliation, which typically only applies to House funding measures, the way that they did it, they did it in such a way that they were able to cram it through and it's not so easy to reverse engineer it and just say, we're going to do the same thing to make it go away. But the other point is, and people would slip into a coma if I actually went back and researched. Yeah, I'm not asking you to do that. No, it's fine. But the other thing is, is that the Republicans, and let's be honest, and this was true even when Paul Ryan was riding herd as the speaker, they have not had the stomach for any of this. Okay, they're, they're not, the Republican Congress has been incredibly feckless on many, many issues. Mm -hmm. And so they deserve probably more blame than Trump does. Now, you know, Mitch McConnell and you can, the turtle, cocaine Mitch, um, (laughs) you can, there's a lot of people that don't like him because he has his foibles. He doesn't necessarily latch on to every particular issue or become, you know, a firebrand. But Mm -hmm. I will say what he perceives as his main job, his job one is getting judges confirmed. And sure. he has had that on an assembly line for Trump's entire tenure. Yeah. I mean, that, if he does nothing else and finishes up getting Barrett on the court, he will go down as probably the most significant, consequential uh, leader of the Senate um, in many a year. I, I can't think of who else w- would be on that list historically. You'd probably be better at that than I would. Uh... But, so. Johnson, he maybe on his job, big picture wise. I, I don't disagree with any of that. So we go back to what plays to the electorate, and the incumbent always. Well, prior to COVID, I think the economy was a winner, and I think Trump cruises. <clears throat> I think because of the the pandemic. And the lockdowns that I don't necessarily think he wanted to do, but did and then regretted and couldn't undo as easily as he did. And again, it's not his lockdowns. I think we want to be clear on that. These were each state had their own directives on this. And I, I want to touch on this because it's it's hard for most people to fathom in 2020. But if you look at the name of our country, it's the United States of America. Okay. Not the global village. Not the global village. Not a collect. Not a confederation of of places and people. It's the United States of America, and a state in anywhere else in the world is a country. So prior to the Civil War, each state acted as their own independent uh, entity, and then came together as part of a larger group. After the Civil War, that all changed. Now, states' rights are given a bad frame of reference because we talk about slavery and the South rebelling and, and form the Confederacy. But states' rights are still should still be in effect. And they aren't. It we've we've subsumed all of that into the federalism, which is what we get today with the Democratic Party, who believes the federal government is the end all and be all of all things of existence. And the only state governments that should exist are the Democratic ones. 
There should be right. no Republican government. Just remember for, for the listeners that the term federalism is actually meant to define the 50 sovereign states. In other words, federalism is the commitment mm-hmm. to allowing the states to control essentially their own affairs. Correct. Via the 10th Amendment. Okay. So it's the Democrats are not in favor of federalism. They're they're in favor of just a larger federal government. Well, yes, because the larger the government, the more power they wield over the states. But states' rights, again, get a bad reputation because that's the rationale for the Confederacy in the, during the Civil War. But states' rights are, if you go back and read the Constitution, and I, I hate to do that to people because, I mean, heaven forbid you read the Constitution that we are supposed to ascribe to. But if it's not specifically spelled out for the federal government, it is in the purview of the states. I do not believe, and again, I'm not a founder, I'm not a professional historian, I don't believe the Federalist Papers from the Constitutional Convention would recognize the government we currently have oh, because... They would, they would be beyond appalled. It's it's nothing like that. Jefferson wouldn't understand. Jefferson was... A, so I, I think often we, we go back and we think of Washington as a Federalist. He was not. He was non-party affiliated. Adams was the only Federalist president ever elected to the United States. Okay? He was the big government guy. Jefferson was the little government guy. But you get confused because he was a Democratic Republican, which wasn't really the Democrats, but it wasn't really the Republicans either. It was a hybrid and split off under Andrew Jackson. Jefferson and Madison, though. Yes. Jefferson was more of a big government guy, even though he wasn't he wasn't a complete big government guy between those two. And those are usually the two whole stars of that debate. Correct. Madison was much more a small government states rights guy than Jefferson was. And he wrote a lot of the Federalist Papers along with Alexander Hamilton, which most people, I can guarantee, even our listeners, probably haven't read the Federalist Papers, at least not completely. There's a lot of information in there. I mean, I've read a number of them. I have not read all of the Federalist Papers. It's a long slog. It, it is a long, The Constitution is short by comparison. It is a long slog. I do not disagree with that. And some of it's pretty dry. But one of the failings that I, and this is our next topic, one of the failings for me is that the judiciary, a, a co-equal branch of the government, is not clearly defined as to size. Why, I do not know. I've never gotten a good explanation as to why it's not a defined number of odd number, because I think you need an odd number so that you don't have a tie. Why there is not a set number. There's a set number of senators. There's a set number of uh, House representatives. There's a set president, a vice president. Why is there not a set number of judges for the co-equal branch of the government? Makes no sense. Uh I mean, I'm sure somebody who studies this would know uh, what reference there would be to, in terms of the philosophical discussion over this when they were when they were framing the Constitution. I, I don't know the answer to that. I don't, I don't either. That's maybe somebody else does. If, if a listener I, knows, I, let us know. My 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 educated guess is that they they essentially want. Well, okay. There's two things. I know this is true. Is that the founders envisioned the Supreme Court as easily the weakest of the three branches, right. which is one of the other reasons they would be apoplectic. <laughs> they could now see the power 
that the Supreme Court wields. It is now the supreme branch mm-hmm. of our government. But if you don't believe that, just go back and watch the footage of Brett Kavanaugh's hearing and the people scrabbling at the Supreme Court doors and the insanity and the hysteria and the political knife fighting over seating one person on that court. It has become far too powerful in our system. And the reason it has become far too powerful is because essentially, number one, Congress has abdicated its responsibilities because guess what? What do politicians not want? They don't want political accountability. If they can foist issues onto unelected, unaccountable judges, and then they don't have to go back to their constituents and say, yeah, I voted yes on that very controversial legislation, all the better. The second reason is because the modern Democratic Party cannot get its agenda accomplished through the democratic process. And so they require jamming it through the courts. Witness Obergefell, Roe, all of their halo decisions that were rejected by the people of the 50 states. If you don't remember, you know this, Chad. (laughs) California, California passed a state referendum making essentially homosexual marriage illegal it, it said, and this is this is la la land yeah okay, these are the people of la la land and what happened they then took it to the court it was overturned the ninth circuit all that so we have two things at play here we have legislators who have completely willingly given up their defined role within our system and we have a party that knows it must control the courts and is more than willing to have activist judges real activists not fake activists, as we've discussed before, who simply want, like Scalia, to give those decisions to their the proper authority in our system, which is the people through their representatives. So we have a major problem. Yeah, we, we do. So I'm looking at the polls. Doesn't look good for Trump. Uh, anything can happen, but it doesn't look good for Trump. Trump. Well, okay, well, here's, the, here's the thing. And I get it. I'm not one of these people that's like, me no care. Polling is ridiculous. No, no. Well, it matters. For instance, there's the one poll that they're all touting right now. It's the the Wall Street. It's like a 14 point spread. Yeah. Okay. That poll. There's, okay. There's two things about polls that, that people need to pay attention to in terms of methodology. Number one, if you're doing a poll of just registered voters, it's completely meaningless. Mm-hmm. Completely meaningless because there's a huge distinction between registered voter just means. You're somebody on a voter roll somewhere <laughs> and they're calling you. Okay. Yeah. That means that you have no likelihood. There's the other category of likely voter. This is somebody who's politically engaged who's going to actually show up the polls. So the first problem is anytime you see a poll that says of registered voters, in my view, basically worthless. The other big problem with that poll is in the methodology, you have to look at the breakdown between. How many Democrats and how many Republicans? And in that poll, I think the skew was something like nine or 10 percent heavier Democrat. Okay, so you already have tilted the playing field based on who you're polling, and the people you're polling are not even representative of likely voters. I think that there is no chance whatsoever that this election, that Trump is trailing by 14 or 10 or even eight points. I think that he's probably trailing by two, three, four points. And remember, you can't do a national poll because the election turns on the battleground states. So, for instance, 
It doesn't really matter that Trump is trailing by 1 million points in California. We know that. What yeah. matters is what is he trailing by or leading by in Pennsylvania and Ohio and Wisconsin and Florida? There's basically seven or eight states that are going to decide this election just like every other one. Right. And if you're telling me that people think that Trump is trailing in Ohio by 14 points, no. Pennsylvania, no. Wisconsin, no. All of those states are going to be relatively close when we have the election. I don't have I don't have any doubt about that. So I want personally, I want the polls to continue to show that Biden is way ahead because I think I think his base is not nearly as energized as Trump's. Now, whether or not that translates into votes, as you point out, I don't know. But I do believe that his base will say, oh, he's up by 15, 16 points. It, it, if it rains, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go out. It's too much hassle. I didn't send in my mail-in ballot. Or the state say, I'm not going to count them because I can't find them or some mailman destroyed them. I don't know. I think if it's close, people might be energized to come out. I'm not really sure. I, I'm not. There's no scientific basis for that. I just get... I am concerned because I look at the Senate races in those battleground states where there are ones, and I'm concerned. I'm concerned yeah. that uh, Martha McSally can't seem to win an election. She can't seem to win an election against anybody, yet she keeps popping up, and I'm sure, not sure why. Uh, you know, Mark Kelly, he was an astronaut? <laughs> Is that his? Is that his whole shtick? He was an astronaut, and his wife was shot. Is that all we're doing? Actually, you you flipped the priority. His wife was shot. Okay. And he's an astronaut. Okay. Yes. Uh, again, that probably makes you, uh, possibly qualified to be a senator. I, I don't know. Uh, it, it just it's. Stuart Smalley was a senator, Chad. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was from Minnesota, so that that explains some of that. Arizona is not where you expect to get two Democratic senators, is it? Honestly, no, you're right. And I mean, that that's a, that's a problem. If you were to ask me right now, my, in terms of what is more important, if you said, I have a choice, your choice is you can have Donald Trump in the White House and the Republicans keep the Senate or no, or the Democrats take the Senate, or you can have Joe Biden in the White House and the Republicans keep control of the Senate. I actually might pick the latter. I would. Um, I'm not sure. But here's the thing. If Biden wins and the Republicans continue to control the Senate, it's bad, but it's not catastrophic. Mm -hmm. If the Democrats take the Senate and Biden wins, then we're, we're hurtling towards the abyss in terms of what is going to come down the road in the next four years, because the, the, they already have telegraphed what they're going to do. Mm -hmm. Schumer will nuke the filibuster. Uh, now, look, he's going to get some pushback from red state Democrats who are going to say, you're basically sacrificing us because in the next two years after you do this, I'm done, right? Joe, yeah. Joe Manchin, the people that are in these red to purple states are in big trouble. But you know what? Look, and I think that this is, this is smart of the Democrats is they never worry about the consequences later. It's take power now. We'll figure out how to sweep up the fragments afterwards. <laughs> That's what they did with Obama. Remember, yeah. what yeah. happened What happened in the first midterm with Obama? Ooh, crushed historical wipeout. Yep. Right? But they spent the first two years jamming through Obamacare. Yep. They didn't care. 
So if they control the Senate, there will be no filibuster for legislative enactments, and then it's just a straight party line vote for every piece of insanity that the Pelosi caucus can cook up mm -hmm. and ram through, which is going to include – I mean – you don't even want to think about what it's going to include. We've talked about this stuff. Yeah. All of the Green New Deal craziness, who knows what new criminal statutes for pronoun usage, <laughs> reparations. As Chuck Schumer said, everything is on the table. Well, in fairness to Chuck Schumer, everything was already on the table. That is true. I, I don't believe that anything was off the table. Him repeating it over ad nauseum doesn't change that. And if they wanted to nuke the filibuster, they were going to do that whenever they got in charge again. So it, whether it's this time, two years from now, four years, doesn't matter. Packing yes. the court, they've, they've toyed with this. I'm not sure I what. They will. I, I, okay, I've, I've read different takes on this. I've yeah. read a couple of smart conservatives that have said it's political poison. They're not going to do it. They'll do it. My view right now is they are going to, they're reaching for the brass ring. They are, they are so be around the bend in terms of the uh, mass psychosis that's going on here. The other thing is they are going to try to guarantee that nothing like Trump, the destructor, ever happens to them again. So I actually think they are going to go whole hog and try for it all. They're going to try to pack the court, particularly if Barrett's on the court. Because remember, if Barrett's on the court, do the analysis. There's nine judges, nine justices. Barrett's on the court. It's basically a 6-2-1 court. And what I mean by that is Roberts is now Kennedy. Yeah. But the only, at that point, the only reliable um, votes for, you know, for the, I guess the, well, it's going to be, there's three. It's going to be, it's a 5-3-1. I got it wrong. There's going to be Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan. Okay. They are now what's left of the so-called liberal axis. You're going to have five, which is the majority five conservative votes, assuming that Barrett pans out, and I think she will. And then and then Roberts can do his Kennedy routine, and it's not going to matter. He's, he's either going to realize, okay, I can either join the majority and we'll have six, three decisions, or I can be, you know, Mr. Fence, fence sitter, and it doesn't matter. In other words, I'm not affecting the majority opinion. So if the Democrats look at that landscape, they have to pack the court. They can't live with the court is their mechanism through which they achieve most of what they want. Now, if they control the legislative process, that might change. But I still think they're going to say, we want six more judges. We're putting six more judges on. Uh, by the way, yeah, D.C. and Guam, we're going for that, too. They're going to be states so we can pack the Senate. It's, it is all – they're going to go for everything. So I think Puerto Rico has a chance of becoming a state. I don't think Guam does. And D.C. has, in my opinion, no constitutional way in hell of being a state because the Constitution specifically does not allow it to be a state. Um, so you'd have to need an amendment to change that. Chad, yes. so this circles us back to what was point number one, which is <laughs> after we pack the court, the Constitution really doesn't matter much, does it? It might not, but it would actually require an amendment. You can't pass a law to make it a state. It's a constitutional amendment. And you can say it doesn't matter, and that probably doesn't to them. But it, you can't just make it happen because you feel like it today. I don't care if you got 100 judges. There's still no amendment. This is their judicial philosophy. Of course they can. 
<laughs> well, hey, uh, we'll see what happens. Um, more, let's talk about Trump the patient. I just want to bring that up. I, I kind of wish he was out of action a little bit longer, personally, because he wouldn't be tweeting and shooting his mouth off and making videos and just shut up. Just shut up. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I mean, I don't really care about that one way or another. I don't know how that look. He's he's behaving as he always behaves. He is. Uh, I don't know how politically the whole you know. Of course, it's oh, see you know the you you deserve it because of your this, okay. Can we? Yes. Uh, I tie Go ahead. One of the other, I want to tie this to one of the other things about the detainer. Yeah. That drove me insane. So among all of the outlandish false claims that Biden is making. The one that is the most, I have to give him credit, it is the most facially um, mendacious in terms of how much of a lie it is, is this idea that we have 200,000 dead and it's all because of Donald Trump. Yeah. And what I want, again, Chris Wallace should have turned to him and said, uh-huh. I'm the Vice President, are you claiming that if you had been president, no one would have died from coronavirus? Oh, and follow-up question, what exactly would you have done? Because what people never seem to point out is everything that Biden says he was going to do, you know, to, to magically prevent anyone from dying, Trump has done all of those things. So the, the idea that they are laying at Trump's feet, everyone who is dead, essentially, essentially because he said some things and issued some tweets that in, in the early going minimized the threat, which by the way, do we need to play the successive <laughs> videos of Pelosi and Fauci and Cuomo? Pelosi, come party in, come party in San Francisco, right? So this is again one of the most just vile things that they're because again it's complete propaganda. It yeah. is gaslighting in the extreme, and all Trump had to do was point out and say, Joe, here's the thing: everything that you want to have done. I've already done it. You keep claiming that I'm not listening to my experts. Fauci has said repeatedly, I've done everything that he said. Now, that may not help Trump with his base because I think that's causing some consternation. And by the way, Joe, you were the one that called me a xenophobe and a racist for not wanting, for for banning travel from China. You were going to let all those people come here, right? Let's roll a videotape. Trump again. He he can't he can't stand there and articulate those things in a coherent way. He'd rather just interrupt Biden and call him a loser. And at some <laughs> point, at some point, you actually have to be able to make points that are factually grounded in your own record. Well, <clears throat> I I hate to bring up the Harris Pence thing, but I was watching right before we went on, and Kamala Harris kept saying on the one hand, on the one hand, she had like 12 hands. I, I don't know how many hands she has, but every time it was another hand, another hand. She is trying to t- tell you that Biden was responsible for basically getting us out of the Great Recession in 2008, nine. Uh, he w- and, and, and that the Trump team was trying to ride his coattails. Well, there was an eight-year gap between those, so I'm not really sure what coattails you're speaking of. Oh, well, you didn't hear it was Obama's 10-year plan, Jack. She doesn't even mention Obama. She mentioned Biden. 
Biden was the architect. Bar- right. Biden's the architect. Biden also uh, dealt directly with Iran, uh, China, Russia, Crimea, you name it, Biden did it. Now, at the time, it seems odd because we never heard Biden discussed other than, oh, he's the vice presidential candidate. So I'm not really sure what he was doing. He was the he was the man on Ukraine. I'll give him that. <laughs> yes, he was. And I know Hunter didn't take three and a half million dollars, even though we have a deposit from this oligarch's wife to Hunter Biden. Didn't happen. Nothing to see here. Move along. Nothing to see right. here. Don't bring my son into this. Oh, and by the way, again, and I'm hoping that Pence. Do you really want to? Um, you really want to hold up Joe as the uh, the guy on Iran? Yeah, really. That's that's a little problematic. Well, she kept saying uh, Biden is not going to end fracking. That's not what he said. She said, I- I'll say it again. He's not going to end fracking. Well, you want to be carbon neutral by 2035. You, where are the fossil fuels coming from? Well, if the other question she should be asked is, well, but you want to end fracking. Yeah, well, and, and that was asked. You actually be president very soon. And yeah. you know that. Well, she was very clear to talk about what Biden was going to do. She never right. her, her her positions are diametrically opposite to his, but for some reason hers don't come up. Now, this is the first time she has been on stage since she was announced as the vice presidential candidate. Since that day. You, right. Did you realize that? She's given no press conferences up to this point. And she's well, not a 78-year-old invalid. Right. Well, and Biden's, yeah, Biden's in his basement. Other than other than the debate, um, and the other thing about the fracking is because Biden said this is debate. Well, again, one of these incoherent responses that Chris Wallace just sat there like right. he was a mute. Where he asked him, he asked him about uh, Biden says the Green New Deal is going to pay for itself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes. yeah, right. And but then Wallace says, "Oh, Wallace gets all excited. Like, oh, are you are you for the glorious?" Green New Deal and Lorax plan. And and Biden then immediately says, well, no, I'm not for the Green New Deal. But, of course, we know you are, Joe, because in the document that you have on your the DNC website that talks about your energy plan, it says right in there, the Green New Deal is the capstone. Mm-hmm. It's the centerpiece. It's crucial to all of my energy plans. And guess what, Joe? The Green New Deal ain't having no fracking. In fact, ain't having no cars planes, oil, nope. modernity, nothing. <laughs> well, didn't he say the Democratic Party is me? I am yeah. the Democratic Party right so the now. The Democratic Party has dementia. Well, I agree with that. Bernie Sanders is going around shooting his mouth off telling people that he helped write the Democratic Party platform. So it's a shock, I know. Well, Bernie is also saying he's he's pleased his punch. Yeah. Biden, Biden's platform is the most radically left-wing platform of any Democratic campaign ever. And you know what? Bernie's telling the truth. Yep. Most progressive, most progressive president ever if he is elected. Like, that's not a... a, He's a moderate from Scranton. Yeah. Well, every time you ask him about packing the court, he doesn't want to answer because he said that'll become the issue. Yes, because it's an actual issue. Like that'll become the issue. Well, that's, I mean, that's an answer and a non-answer. Well, so the answer is I'm going to do it. I just don't want to tell you I'm going to do it because if I tell you I'm going to do it, even though he said a year ago, he would not do that because the next time somebody else gets in power, they're going to do the same thing. They're going to do uh-huh. it to the other side. But now suddenly he's all in favor because that's Joe what. Joe has changed his position. On everything. This isn't even a flip-flop. It, it's no. sort of like a flip-flop with an exponent because 
He has done this on every position for 47 years, about seven different times. And our friend, I, I was noticing our friend writing about this. And so he, he has now taken to the habit of saying things like, he'll quote somebody that says, Joe Biden is going to be unquote. And then he'll just say in a conclusive way, Joe Biden is not opposed to fracking. And I'm thinking to myself, based on which day and which statement, because he has clearly said multiple times, yeah, I'm going to ban fracking. And then, of course, he walks it back when he's confronted by it. How would anyone know what his position is? And in my view, when someone can keep saying completely inconsistent things about a particular issue, I'm going to assume that they're lying for expediency, <laughs> and they're going to do exactly that thing. Yep. I completely agree with you. Um, I wanted to change it up a little bit and hit some sports, because I, I don't know what to think for the election we got three weeks, and even then, I probably don't think it'll be over. We'll still be talking about okay, this for another month. In 30 seconds, what is your prediction for what happens? Uh, not after election night. It's already made it clear that if Trump is ahead, he's never going to be allowed to win. What do you think is going to be happening as of midnight on uh, November 3rd, I guess? Uh, we'll still be talking about how Biden can come back if he's behind and how Trump has been well, shellacked. Yeah, be ahead. I mean, like, if we were having a normal election, uh -huh. who would essentially be the winner? We're having a normal election, Trump. But because well, so normal meaning, normal meaning, set aside all of the lawfare, and we have to wait. Like, just as you sit here now, what is your prediction? Is is Trump going to win under again, sort of the normal rules of how this is supposed to work, or is he trailing in the polls? He's he's looking worse, and it's going to be a Biden victory. What is your prediction? I I expect that Biden's going to win. Okay. And I, I I'm not ha by a little or a lot. I don't think it's going to be as big as some of these polls are showing because I agree with you. Registered voters is not the same as actually going to vote. But I believe he's going to win by because I think Trump can't not make it about himself that he's asking the electorate to vote based on him and he loses every time when that happens. And I think if he, in the next three weeks, if he would shut up and let Joe just be an, a moron like he can be, maybe it's, he has a shot. But I don't think he can do that. I don't think he wants to do that. I think he I thinks think, I can lead ahead. I think we're going to have a repeat of the last election. Okay. I think all the experts are going to be wrong again. Hopefully. Um, I think that Trump is going to win the Electoral College basically exactly the same way he did before by winning Pennsylvania and Ohio and some combination of Wisconsin, Michigan, and Minnesota. He'll win Florida. And, and then we're going to have, again, three, three, four weeks of rioting, you know, ballot fraud in the chimney, um, that kind of stuff. And I don't know what's going to happen. But I know what the polls say right now, and again, I'm not Mr. Amino believe in, in facts. <laughs> I think the polls do. Here's the other thing, and this this we know this from 2016. There was a large segment of voters who went out and polled it for Trump who simply didn't tell pollsters what they thought. Sure. I think that that dynamic exists even more now, given an environment where if you wear a MAGA hat to the wrong place, you're going to get assaulted. So I think that there is actually even a, a potentially larger group of what I'll call, you know, 
what is it? The silent majority, right? What's that from? <laughs> Pat Robertson. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I, I do think that that group is out there and in larger numbers and the Trump voters are, and this has been polled and you alluded to it far more enthusiastic. I think Trump re- Trump reproduces pretty much exactly what happened last time. And then we see, and then we see all the efforts to reverse reality. I, I think, I hope you're right. Um, my, my fear for this election is not that you're pulling for Donald Trump or pulling for Joe Biden. It's what each of those represents. And to quote our friend, it matters what you do. Now, I will say this, and I've said this before, and I will say it again. I take absolutely no responsibility for anything Donald Trump has done or will do as president of the United States. I voted for a candidate. It is a binary choice. I don't care what anybody else tells me. It's a binary choice. There are only two people who have a shot at winning this thing, and it isn't that third party. I don't care who it is. They have no shot. It's either a Republican or a Democrat will be president at some point, whenever that's all counted, but it will not be a third party. So it is a binary choice. So to tell me that, well, you didn't have to choose Donald Trump. I could not choose Hillary Clinton. I chose Donald Trump. So I don't take responsibility for what Donald Trump does because I voted for him. Because by that logic, that means you had to take responsibility for Bill Clinton for what he did if you voted for him or Obama or FDR or you name it, whatever. I, I, I reject, not categorically, but I reject this Trump uh, debased the office of president. I think we, we fail to remember, and that includes our friend who claims to be a historian, we fail to remember that we had a lot of dirtbags in, in the White House. Warren G. Harding, Republican, was a dirtbag. He was a philanderer. JFK, FDR, dirtbag philanderers. Okay, don't tell me that Trump brought debasement and, and philandering to the White House. It was already there. So d- don't give me that. And telling me that an evangelical voted for Trump, therefore you're a bad Christian witness because you voted for a philanderer. A lot of people voted for a lot of people they thought were good, maybe weren't good, didn't know, weren't short, don't know personally. Fine. I'm tired of that argument. It's a straw man argument. I don't like it. I think it's ridiculous. Now, I want to point out, our friend is going to be part of a town hall, Christians for Social Action, okay? They're going to talk about faithful voting. Want to guess who they're going to tell you to vote for? Just look at the website. It won't take you long. I can guarantee you it's Biden-Harris. They may not say the words Biden-Harris, but they'll tell you what. It's funny you mention that because I did see that. And all I want to do is go go to the uh, virtual and ask one question, which is, is it possible for a faithful voter to choose Donald Trump? Yes. And every single one of them will say, not possible. Yep. Now, and then I want to follow up and say, was it possible for a faithful voter to pick Hillary Clinton? And everyone will say, absolutely. That was perfectly permissible. The only thing you can't do as a faithful voter is vote for Trump. Yes. All other other options are on the table. Yes, that I just seems to me to be a completely specious yes. position, but there it is. Well, it's the Christians for Social Action. That's who's putting this on. Their initiatives: breaking the cycle of racism, immigrants and refugees, God and politics, environmental justice, addressing global poverty, and faith-rooted civil resistance. Okay, yes. 
I we were going to talk about um, uh, critical race theory, and I don't. Oh, yeah. We need to save that for a longer set. Well, I have a clip here. I just want to play it. It's just three points about critical race theory, or actually critical theory and Christianity, and we can digest it at another time. But I just want to play this because it's getting a lot of play, but I don't think a lot of people really understand what it means. This it's a quick summary. Let me just play this and see what you think. In other words, critical theory has a completely different understanding of who we are, what the problem is, and how to fix it than Christianity. So next time someone, surely with good intentions, tells you that Christians should embrace critical theory because Jesus also cares about the oppressed, remember these three things. Critical theory offers a different view of humanity. Our identity is in our status as image bearers and children of God, not in our race, gender, income, or immigrant status. Critical theory offers a different view of sin. Oppression is wrong, but it is a symptom and not the disease. Critical theory offers a different view of salvation. We cannot solve our biggest problem. Jesus can. Our hope is not in our circumstances on earth, but our destiny in eternity. But that's something for people to think about. Go do some research on critical race theory. I promise we'll try to talk about it next time because I, I think it's important that we really dig into that because it gets bantered around a lot and Trump gets castigated for removing it from federal statutes or from uh, federal training. Federal training and federal, if you have a, if you have a contract with the federal government. The best thing that he's done. Yeah, I, I should have brought that up as one of his accomplishments. Uh, but it's something you really have to look at. And the Christians for Social Action doesn't quite grasp that. So take it for what it is. I have said from the beginning of this podcast, don't take my word for it. Don't take Tony's word for it. Look it up yourself. Learn about it. Every, whatever we talk about, look it up for yourself. Don't trust a journalist, and I use that heavy quotes, or somebody else. Look it up yourself. Look at primary sources and figure it out for yourself and then come back with questions, and we certainly would like to to entertain that. That's hey, by the way, though, you got, we got sidetracked, so you at least have to say what the sports thing was that you wanted to talk about. Football. It's football, man. Okay. So, so I, I'm just, so we're a quarter way through the NFL season. Some college has started. Big Ten's going to start in 18 days, maybe, possibly. Uh, it. it I've seen a lot of back and forth. It's mostly the union side of things saying, I can't believe we're playing. I can't believe they, uh, New England put people on a, on a plane. I can't believe, you know, the Titans can't seem to figure out how to not breathe on each other. All this stuff. It's been mind-boggling to me to see. I don't think you and I have talked about this, but so – they, they were tracking devices in the NFL. So when you're in the facility, you're wearing a track. So that little, little bracelet looks like a watch on everybody's wrist on the sideline. So they know who they've been in contact with, where they've been, and who's – so they have to go back and look where you're at. Why do none of the players, while playing the game, have a mask on of any kind? Ever. Well, you mean on the field? On the field, on the sideline. Now, on Sunday, I saw some players with wearing a mask. What's that? You can't play football wearing a mask. They, well, if you watch the commercials, 
maybe you don't watch the commercials, but in the commercials, they talk about all the innovative things they've done to get back to playing football. And one of those is a mask made by Under Armour that has slight holes, so it diffuses the spittle, but it's some, some sort of protection around the mouth. Not a single player is wearing one. Not, not a single player I've seen is wearing one. But I'm talking about the players standing on the sidelines. No players, I saw some on Sunday night wearing some masks on the sidelines. The rest of the players are standing there with their helmets off, right next to each other, breathing all over each other. Not a word. So Nothing. Is your, point, is your point, which is one that I've made repeatedly, that this is all COVID theater, or is your point that they should be implementing what they said they were going to do? My my point is they do 2,000-plus rapid tests a day. Now, you may, not, may or may not know this, folks out there. The rapid test is in short supply. It does not You can't get it everywhere. And it is is not 100% accurate. It is... About 60% accurate based on some of the things I've read. I don't know the exact number. So it's not 100% accurate. So you can get false positives and false negatives. So you're testing everybody with a basically something that's hard to come by. Hospitals can't get them because the NFL is doing 2,000 plus a day. Uh, you're telling me that coaches have to wear masks, and I guess they're going to lose draft picks and fines and whatever else if they – end up having more COVID outbreaks. But the coaches the coaches are just as stupid about wearing their masks as the general population, which is below their nose, under their chin. Maybe it's on their face. Maybe it isn't. It's a random scattering of, of incompetence. They're finding, they're talking about it, great. But none of the players are wearing a mask. So are you telling me when I'm in a practice facility standing around the sideline, I'm masked. But as soon as I'm playing or I'm suited up, I don't have to wear a mask, and I'm good. Because I was tested today. Now, the same thing that they're blasting Trump for prior to his COVID diagnosis, it's okay because social justice is okay and the players are okay because they've been right. tested every day. Right. What a load of crap. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's a crap. We've said this. I will not listen to anyone who criticizes Trump or the people that were at the Barrett festivities. All I want to know is one thing. What did you say about 10,000 people in the street during the BLM yep. peaceful protest slash looting slash whatever was going on? And if you had nothing to say about that, or even more likely, you somehow decided that that was an exception, you, you have zero credibility. Okay, our friend, zero credibility. <laughs> He spent the last three days posting ad nauseum about this. Yep. And yet, I'm pretty sure there was deafening silence when we had the thousands thronging shoulder to shoulder, spewing their viral loads everywhere for social justice. Not a peep. Nope. Not a peep about the deadly pandemic and nope. how they were selfish and how they were placing everyone at risk. And so again, our friend likes to call this what about is Right, yeah. where he says you're deflecting from the no, no, I'm not deflecting. <laughs> I'm not making the two wrongs make a right argument. No. My argument is, you're the ones that are claiming this is imperative and serious, and you are outraged by the president's irresponsibility. You know what? You didn't care when there were ten thousand people doing it. I don't believe you. 
So I'm not going to listen to anything you say because you don't actually believe that. You're just using that as a handy political cudgel to smash bad orange man. If you had been consistent, I might actually take what you're saying somewhat seriously, but none of them are. So, and by the way, the second point about that is when you then ask, how is it possible that so many people cannot be doing what they should be doing? It's because they've watched you and the experts and the epidemiologists who jettisoned all of their professional integrity and said, no, no, we're good to go because the virus likes being on the right side of history. And what are they supposed to make of that? What they're going to conclude is it's all a bunch of malarkey and I'm not going to do it. Nor, nor should you. And I think that's where I'm coming from. It's either you're doing it all the time and you have a, maybe you have some moral high ground to say, Hey, I mask all the time. Biden doesn't even have the moral high ground. He's not masked all the time. He's got to blow his nose above on his chin and, Here's the reality. We're human beings and we're not born to have masks on all the time. Period. Okay? So if that's the reality, accept that that's going to happen and you're going to touch your face. Think about it. How often do you touch your face in a day? A lot. We touch our face all the time. So telling somebody, don't touch your face. I got a memo the other day about wearing a mask at home. Are you wearing a mask at home with your family? Are you kidding me? And then it said you need to wash it regularly. Yeah, but it says you need to wash it regularly. It doesn't define what regularly is. So I'm not sure. Does that mean I spit a lot, so I should wash it more frequently than my daughter who doesn't spit as much? It, there's no rhyme or reason. Now, I'm not, I'm not out there telling you don't wear a mask. Wear a mask. Yeah. Maybe it helps. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. But don't tell me the science settles it. Kamala Harris. The science is settled. No, the science isn't settled. Science fact, is always moving. Of the level of uh, cartoonish absurdity, there is now in California the government is issuing <laughs> uh, more uh, more mandatory guidance, and their recommendation now is when you go. In fact, I'm not even sure if it's a recommendation. It may it's be. You know, they may send out the COVID response team and taser you uh, if you go to a restaurant. Course, it's always been. I always love the restaurant stuff too, where you're supposed to wear it while you're walking to the table. Like, but now I'm sitting at the table and now I don't have to wear it. So uh, I'm in the same place that I was one second ago. <laughs> the government is now saying that you have to take it on and off between bites of food. Yep. <laughs> yep. I saw that. I'm like, yeah, that's that's um, you obviously want restaurants to close because I don't see how that's going to work. Um, just a quick touch. Uh, D.C. today banned congregations of more than 100, church congregations, and Bill de Blasio has decided that selective closing of sections of New York City is the most effective way to deal with the virus, and they just so happen to be in Jewish areas. Mm-hmm. Ten. Ten people at a synagogue. Really? I, I'm well, sure that will work out well how rowdy those those jewish synagogue gatherings get yeah i mean that there, there's a uh there's a force multiplier there so so bill uh, bill has only the best motives <laughs> i i believe that uh governor newsom and bill de blasio maybe think they're doing the right thing i'm not even sure they believe no, they what don't. they're saying no they don't well Bill de Blasio certainly doesn't. 
and, and, and the Duke of Newsom, I don't think was either. What so didn't Newsom yeah. outlaw the sale yeah. of uh, gas-powered cars by twenty thirty-five? What didn't Newsom sign a bill that outlaws the sale of gas-powered cars by twenty thirty-five in Probably. California? And they also, as as we joked about, although it's not a joke, this is the same state uh, that has reduced the penalties for pedophiles. Yeah. And so the Babylon B, I think we said this, the Babylon B classic headline was state which reduces penalties for pedophiles can't figure out why God keeps setting it on fire. <laughs> and that is, uh, that is absolutely correct. Well, there's a professor at Oregon State who said that the wildfires in the West are because of white Christians. Well, obviously. So, you know, science I mean, I settled. That's the captain, the captain, obvious commercial. <laughs> Science settled, folks. White Christians are the reason California or and Oregon are burning. It's it's white Christians. I, it's it's the unified field theory. Yes. Everything bad well, can be traced back her, her, to, to white Christians and or Donald Trump. Her theory is that uh, basically because evangelicals as a group don't tend to follow climate change as seriously or don't believe in climate change as seriously. That's why the, the fires are burning. It wasn't the gender reveal party or lightning storms. The, the evangelical skull and bone society has yes. enough power to prevent the enactment of meaningful uh, climate change. They, they've kidnapped Greta Thunberg. They've, they've prevented <sighs> Al Gore from, from getting his scrolls of gore passed and I, I i think there's a few dots that still have to be connected there for me i'm not i'm not totally following no and, and i want to end on this or unless you have something else i want to i want to send out heartfelt thanks to all the twitterati who were wishing donald trump to die over the weekend uh you've shown your class in, in that behavior and to our friend i know you didn't do that and you wished him a speedy recovery, but you associate with those people, and I, I'm I'm deeply disturbed yeah. by those people. Uh, well, you know, what? good point. Uh, that we, we're operating under the guilt by association policy, and our friend, even and he's a very very vigilant Twitter investigator, mm-hmm. never saw fit to post any of that stuff, nope. and perhaps you know, issue some moral indignation, which he's very good at on the things that he wants to focus on, not so much for things like that, for whatever reason. No. So those of you out there who, again, I'm not surprised by that, but it just shows how classless you are. You can talk about Donald Trump being classless, and you have a point. You have very many points. But don't stand there and tell me you're, you're classy when you're wishing the president to die. You want him dead. Or you've got, you're a college professor, and I can't remember which college it was, who thinks we should hang all of the police because that will solve our... Hang the police, the last policeman. Classy. Classy people. Yeah, you don't have any room to stand. Bolshevik U? Is that the... I can't find the, the article, but it was yeah. classic. I'm like, come on, really? You know what, though? Yeah. That's not even a fringe opinion anymore. No, and sadly, it's not. So... It is not. You have anything else to add tonight, Tony? Nothing. Okay. Uh, apparently, the NBA finals are in their last two or three games. I, nobody knows because nobody's watching. 
Riddle schadenfreude laugh about <laughs> the NBA's ratings are the equivalent of a 1 a.m. infomercial for the ShamWow at this point. Well, it, it's and, and it, it could not be more richly deserved. Yeah. I don't care who wins, and it doesn't matter to me in the slightest. Uh, and, and sometimes I do care, but right now I don't. And it sounds like Adam Silver said we might not be quite as woke next year. Didn't use those words. We'll be less woke next year because we realize people aren't watching. So yeah, Adam has been reading the uh, the ratings information in real time in his office and having an upset stomach. But he has no one to blame but himself. That is correct. So we'll leave you with that. If you're watching the NBA Finals, more power to you. I can't think of anything else that I'd rather less do than that, but okay. So that's it for me, Tony. Thank you for joining us. I'm Chad. I'm Tony. Good night. This has been a Hannah Tree production.